Planet Joe. Please enter the pod and fasten the brain safety belt. This planet is intended for mature humans only. If you are the sapient type that gets offended easily, please exit the pod immediately. Enjoy your visit on Planet Joe Pod. Launching now. Welcome, Earthlings. How you doing, my lovelies? It's been a while. And I missed ya. Like a mofo. Yeah, I know, it's embarrassing. Three-week hiatus. What's up with that? Well, if you follow me on my social media platforms, you know what happened. First week, if you listened uh, to the previous podcast, I, I mentioned them before, um, I had a guest from the U.S., I came here for a week, so I skipped that week. And then uh, on the second week, uh, the disaster happened. Uh, again, if you follow my social media, you probably read about the, the issue that I had. I recorded uh, this episode almost uh, after a two-hour recording. The road mixer just shut off out of nowhere, and everything was deleted. The whole freaking podcast disappeared i was so freaking upset i was almost in tears so i just skipped that week yeah it was it was uh it was hard to digest um wasn't fun but i guess that's growing pains for you and uh, then the third week uh was with my son we had a four-day weekend which was freaking amazing I had a great time with him and um here i am So after a three-week hiatus, I apologize. It was really supposed to be two weeks, but because of the disaster of that file disappearing on me, mixer shutting down, that kind of screwed that one up for me. But uh, anyways, here we are. Like I said, I missed you. Hope you're doing good. I'm hoping that three-week hiatus didn't uh, affect the momentum um, as I was gaining listeners all over the world actually which is a bit of a surprise uh, for me but i appreciate each and every one of you thank you for listening and the good news is my uh feel the burn episode uh, uh pod number five about bernie sanders broke the 100 mark 100 listeners might not be a big of a deal but uh you know for nobody like me who's just starting out on the fifth episode that's pretty cool so, um, yeah, again, appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for listening. And um, I guess we're back on track from here on out. The weekly PJP pod pod is back on track. The goal is every Sunday, recording on Saturdays and, uh, you know, editing and all that. Trying to upload it on Saturdays, but uh, in most cases it'll be uploaded on Sundays. So that's that. All right. Let's get started this is episode sex not a mistake episode sex and number six but episode sex um you've arrived this is personal for me you've arrived to the biggest uh, country on planet joe and that's uh sex i'd say probably my biggest uh passion in life human sexuality always has been but you know as i've grown older i've uh learned how to embrace it and uh, own it 
sex breaks into many different branches in this country, on this planet. It breaks into different states, <laughs> if you will. If the country is called sex, so we have different states. Uh, I would say the capital state is sex, obviously. Uh, and then we have a bunch of other wonderful states. Then I'll take you on a tour in a future uh, future episodes. Uh, states such as uh, sex work, uh, which I'm a activist and an advocate to legalizing uh, sex work and uh, empathize with uh, sex workers. And uh, I will bring you the stats and the reality of places where sex work is legal. There's only uh, benefits to that where society only benefits from it. And um, obviously for my American audience, it might sound very um, weird. So that's a whole different state that we'll be visiting sometime in the future. Another state is uh, swinging, not the dance. <laughs> and that's uh, about the whole swinging culture and community of uh, uh, swingers. Another big state the that's... Uh, in the sex country, <laughs> is uh, polyamory, non-monogamy. Uh, it's also something huge for me. I honestly believe that monogamy is against uh, nature. It's something that uh, we invented, and that's why it's such hard work, because we're trying to go against the grain of nature. Um, I'll be touching on that a little bit in this episode, but uh, in future episodes I'll dedicate... Uh, a PJP episode only about polyamory. OSP, that's another state. Orgies and sex parties. <laughs> I just called it OSP. Um, yeah, we'll be talking about that. Um, sexual revolution, sexual freedom, promiscuity, if you will. And on the coastline uh, is the beautiful tropical state of nudism. I'll be also dedicating an episode for that. We'll take you on a tour at the nudism state, the whole topic of nudism. And there are a few more uh, little states, but I'll take you there. Don't worry in the future. So here's the biggest question that I have, I think, probably most of my life, or as long as I can remember myself. And the question is, why do human beings in the 21st century make such a big deal out of sex? Was it always like that for sapiens? Was that always uh, such a big deal, such a uh, taboo? Something we can't talk with our young ones? Something that is only moral if it's between two uh, adults who are in a relationship, who are monogamous? And if it's outside of that, it's taboo. It's sin. Sin. Which brings me to the biggest two reasons why uh, or where uh, sexuality took a shift in in our human race. Uh, and the two reasons are um, agriculture and religion. Agriculture invented the idea of ownership over women. And this brings me, uh, you're going to hear me talk about this book a lot, but it brings me to the one of my favorite books, uh, Sex at Dawn by Christopher Ryan, where he breaks down the history of uh, human sexuality from the beginning of time, as far as science can track human sexuality. I highly recommend that book if it's something of an interest to you. Uh, human sexuality and the history of sexuality for us sapiens. Anyways, uh, Dr. Christopher Ryan talks about uh, agriculture and how that was uh, a huge shifting point for 
for human sexuality. And that began when when sapiens started with agriculture. We actually started with the idea of ownership. Up until then, everything was shared. If it's food, if it's sex, partners, raising our children, etc. But agriculture kind of broke sapiens up into um, tribes. We're raising uh, livestock and crops kind of put us into a situation where we actually invented ownership, where we own the area where we raise the livestock and the crop. And with that came the ownership of women, where women became also property of men. And that's because men wanted to make sure that their their children are the ones that are going to inherit their property, their livestock, their crops or whatnot. And the only way they can make sure that it is their children it's by having ownership, exclusive ownership of their women, specifically ownership of their sexuality, where they have to have sex only with that man. Otherwise, they won't get any financial security. So that's one point where monogamy was kind of invented. And a huge reason for sex phobia and why sex is, is considered a sin, it's religion. I always say if there's one thing that is common in all religions, it's uh, misogyny and sex phobia. And it is a fact that most people, if not all, that come out of religion or are in religion, they suffer from sex phobia. Sex for them is a big no-no. And the irony of it is that sex is such a force of nature that even super religious people cannot suppress it, hide it, ignore it. It breaks through no matter what. And we always hear it from religious leaders, kings, politicians throughout history, especially with men. They cannot put sex aside. They cannot function with one person in in a monogamous relationship. It's impossible because it's going against nature. And I think in the last uh, few centuries, even though it's... uh, there's no not much record of it, but I'm sure uh, many women also cannot suppress and put it aside their their sexual drive. Except that for women, they have uh, much more to lose when it comes to being promiscuous, adultery, or just expressing their sexual innate freedom. And uh, I mean, here we are, 21st century, and it's still the same way excluding very few societies that decided to go with nature and open up to sexuality and open up to non-monogamy and legalize prostitution and not go against what is natural. And the results are in for all these uh, nations, like the Netherlands, for example. Um, The results are in and it shows, the statistics shows that their children are much more safe when it comes to STDs or relationships or anything sexual because they educate their children. Believe it or not, it might be mind-blowing for most of you and I encourage you to research it. But um, in the Netherlands, for example, sex ed starts at age eight. Actually, at kindergarten, they start talking about relationships, not sexual uh, activity, but relationships at, at kindergarten. But at the age of eight, they start educating their schools, their children, about sex. You can find many videos about the subject, and you'll actually see teachers uh, talking to children about sexuality and educating their young ones, including showing videos of genitalia, teaching them the functionalities of the male and the female genitalia. 
And these are the leading countries when it comes to unwanted pregnancies, STDs, divorce rates, rape, sexual abuse. They are they are the leading countries when it comes comes to that. And it's obvious why because they're not suppressing it, they're not hiding it, and they're not trying to, you know, throw it in the closet and hope it'll go away like unfortunately America is doing when it comes to sexuality. I always say sex is a beautiful thing. It's a natural thing. I really never believed in in the ownership of another human being and the ownership of the person that I love, the, the ownership of their sexuality. I it just to this day, I, I just don't understand it. And why is it normal in our, in our society, in our day and age? We're so programmed. I mean, it's been going on for, for centuries. So we're so programmed and accepted that this is the norm. That we have to be um, sexual only with our only with one person, with our significant other, and it might be working for some people, but for most APNs, it does not work. It's going against nature. Now, imagine a world where women rule; marriage does not exist. One night stand is equivalent to marriage. Promiscuity is a sign of sexual power, expression, and freedom. Women with multiple sexual partners are looked up to and monogamy is looked down upon. Imagine a world where older women teach their daughters how to enjoy sex with different partners every night. Sex is just like saying a warm hello. Monogamy is seen as an unnatural bond between two humans who have a sexual ownership on each other. A world where harmony and sexual pleasure is aligned with nature and nurture. Where women make all the important decisions for the community. Sounds utopian? Heaven? Hell? Do you think such a world exists here on planet Earth? Well, I got a surprise for you. There is. If you haven't heard of the Mosu tribe or the Mosu women, then you might be shocked to hear that everything I just said is actually a way of life for the Mosus. Dr. Christopher Ryan talks about the Mosus in his book, uh, Sex at Dawn, briefly, but he mentions it. And you can find tons of of information and videos on YouTube uh, about the Mosus, or just look them up on Wikipedia. But I'll give you a brief description of who they are. So here's a description from the Mosus from uh, Wikipedia. The Mosus are a small ethnic group living in Yunnan and Sichuan province in China, close to the border with Tibet. The Mosu people are known as the Kingdom of Women because the Na are matrilineal society. Men and women are free to have multiple partners and to initiate or break off relationships when they please. The practice of Tisis allows Mosu women to avoid the double standard that regulates women's sexuality in other con- cultures. Women's sexual behavior are judged equally. Girls and boys alike are raised learning to express sexuality to the same degree. The traditional Mosu family and kinship affords women an equality an agency over their sexual and procreative lives that is rare in most cultures. Romantic and sexual unions are governed solely by the women and men involved. Other family members are unconcerned with the romantic lives of their offspring. Most women enjoy freedom from reproductive demands that is foreign to most cultures. Here's an awesome quote from a Mosu woman uh, named Yang Erch Namu. Women and men should not marry. For love is like the seasons, it comes and goes. Let me read you another paragraph from uh, Dr. Kate Lister. She's a, a vice uh, columnist from Vice uh, News. But she wrote this about uh, the Mosu women. Mosu women do not marry, 
They take as many lovers as as they wish, and they have no word for husband or father. Lovers do not live together, but the women invite men to visit them in their dormitories at night. This arrangement is referred to as a walking marriage and is regarded as no one's business but the couple involved. Walking marriages can be long-term or may last just one night, but nobody would expect to only have just one such arrangement over their lifetimes. Breaking up is equally fuss-free. Either the woman stops letting her lover come over or he just stops coming to see her. A significant initiation rite is a mother giving her daughter a key to her own dormitory so she can begin inviting lovers over. These matriarchal societies show us that women can and do rule around the world in certain places. It is possible to build communities around maternal values that are based on need rather than power and domination. What's more, when women are in the driving seat, everyone's lives a better life. And of course, the sex is much, much better. (laughs) I love that last part. Sex is much better when women rule. And there's no shame in sluthood, if you will. Which brings me to the word slut. For me, slut is, is a hero. A woman that is a slut is a powerful woman that owns her sexuality. And she goes with nature. I don't know if you heard Marilyn Monroe's uh, quote about sex, which I love. Sex is a part of nature, and I go with nature. And to me personally, a slut is a powerful woman that goes with nature. Unfortunately, in our society, there's this thing called slut-shaming, which is a shame for any society to have. Sluthood is empowering. Casual sex, I know for many of you, is going to be hard to digest, but casual sex is healthy and good and natural. One of the biggest casual sex researcher and educator is uh, Dr. Zana Frankalova. You can find um, a couple of wonderful TED Talks on the topic where she talks about casual sex. But I pulled out a wonderful article that she wrote um, after a 12-year research that she did about casual sex. And uh, this is uh, science talking, not just me. So I'm just the middleman. <laughs> but yeah, let me read it for you. It's called, uh, the, the title of the article is Six Reasons Why Casual Sex is Good for You. As a lady at the helm of a famous study published by the New York University, Zana Vrangolova has devoted a large part of her career in psychology to human sexuality in the New Age. More precisely, the kind of sexual encounters that occur outside of the norms of traditional committed relationships. Of course, Vrangolova's research cannot be perceived separately from today's Me Too movement and other cultural concepts um, that continue to blur the boundaries of consensual, safe, and healthy sex. It seems that once again, casual sex is equated with an immoral epidemic that is taking over society. You know, the one that's demeaning women. Well, Dr. Vranglova and her army of followers have both the last word and an argument to support it with. Having studied casual sexual encounters of college students for 12 years, she's finally delivered scientific proof that the notorious hookup culture is actually very beneficial to our general well-being. The research was born of Vranglova's frustration with negative portrayals of casual sex. One thing that was bothering me, Vranglova said, is the lack of diversity in discussions of casual sex. 
It's always portrayed as something college students do, and it's almost always seen in a negative light as something that harms women. With all this in mind, we give you six good reasons to hook up. And the article continues. Number one is sex relieves stress and makes us happy. At least something we all agree on. It's well known that stress causes low libido, but this is also true and it works in the opposite direction. An Arizona State University study proved this after having examined the correlation between physical affection, sexual behavior, and positive mood in 58 middle-aged women. Sexy times made all of them happier. But wait, there's more. A night of sex followed by a day of good mood, while a day of good mood is then followed by more sex at night, as a stress relief technique, intimate encounters trigger a fulfilling spiral of perpetual mental health boosts. Sex leads to happiness, happiness to sex, and round it goes. The best thing about it is, nobody said sex must be an expression of love. I'm going to repeat that one, because it's a big one. The best thing about it is, nobody said sex must be an expression of love. The results of this study are true for all people, no matter their gender, relationship status, or sexual inclinations. The only prerequisite is that sex must be consensual and not used as an excuse for destructive behavior. In translation, if you're generally fine with who you are, but are actually feeling under the weather, if you feel like a night of wild intimacy might pick you up, but you don't have anyone to share it with, there's nothing wrong with engaging in passionate lovemaking with a person you don't actually love. Number two, sex actually makes us physically healthier. If there is a scientific link between sex and good mood, then there must be something that connects it to physical health too, right? The human body is an intricate system of parts, both cerebral and somatic, which in most cases means that what's good for your mood is good for your bodily functions as well, like sex. The more often you do it, the healthier you are. And for each topic that she's talking, it's much longer. I'm just bringing out the, the meat of each proof that she came up with in her research. Number three, sex is a great confidence boost. You'll never look greater than after your last intercourse, and that's a fact. Sexual energy is very raw. Unless you're turned on by pure aesthetics or pressured by body image stigmas, your libido won't care for dress size. It'll want to have fun and exchange affection. To sexual people, every human being is beautiful, so why not exercise that? It's another great one. To sexual people, every human being is beautiful. I love that. Number four, sex keeps you on top of your game until you find someone to settle down with. Going back to the socio-sexually unrestricted culture, we must note that casual sex boasts another important benefit. It actually keeps us from jumping from one bad relationship into a worse one. Now let's talk about why this pattern would ever be considered healthier than sporadic one-night stands. Would traditional moral norms really rather see us hysterical, unfulfilled, and depressed in sexless couplings then relaxed and happy and loveless, pertaining to romantic love, of course, arrangements with amazing single people? If so, then something's awfully wrong with what's considered as ethical and healthy. And without much philosophizing, shouldn't every person be allowed to choose what they enjoy, presuming that their choices don't hurt themselves and others included? Should singles be forbidden from seeking physical contact only because society says that sex without commitment is ungodly? Forget about it, society. If there's someone you like but don't want to settle down with, 
Go for it. Explore your options. Have a good time and see what happens. Seen from this perspective, one night stands may actually help you understand who you are as a sexual person and what you want from your romantic entanglements. Number five, sex is a great way to learn a lot about different kinds of people. I love that one. Every encounter is an experience, be it as sexual by nature or not. Experiences are tactic knowledge that shape not only who we are, but also how we see people around us. So what society is trying to tell us is not to jump to every opportunity to learn something new and grow wiser from our mistakes. What a plot hole in this carefully built narrative. Sex shouldn't be a taboo. Our sexual drives are perfectly normal, and not only in the reproductive sense of the word. There's always been a strong social component to sex, one that doesn't imply peer pressure and other factors in that influence sexual decisions in a negative way. It's not pure biology. So let's put pressure on one side and liberation on the other and try to acknowledge that the hookup culture allows us to mingle. It gives us a platform for exploring other people without any commitment. If that's what both parties want, both consensual adults are interested in, then where's the harm in that? Socialization-wise, there's simplicity and elegance in not taking sex too seriously. Another wonderful line, and I'm going to read that one again. Socialization-wise, there's simplicity and elegance in not taking sex too seriously. That should have been the title of this episode. Powerful. Love it. Let's move on. Number six, sex helps you stay focused. Since sexual energy is raw, it tends to accumulate beyond control if not released. Every unrealized drive is dangerous. In all aspects of human life, they lead to frustration and lower our self-esteem. Call it an instinct or an urge, unrealized sexual drive can mess you up in ways you would never expect. Just remember your high school days. Remember the night sweats, the painful fantasies, the general lack of interest in anything that doesn't end with kissing or touching, and compare it to how you feel now as sexually inactive adult. Troublingly similar, right? In matters of the birds and the bees, we're no better than our 16-year-old selves. And that has absolutely nothing to do with how mature you are. It's basic biology, urging us from within to seek mating partners, reproduce our genes, and have fun along the way. To our biological clocks, no sex means no reason to set up the morning alarm. It's time for fatigue, lethargy, and apathy. Casual sex can cure all three in one night. It will not only boost your mood, but also remove all distractions, of which daydreaming about sex may just be the biggest one. Increased confidence will make you feel competent again and allow you to stay focused on all that's annoyingly dull and mundane. You'll finally feel awakened and productive. According to science, hookups are good for our overall health. Let nobody judge you for that. Beautiful article that's about casual sex. And Dr. Zano is talking about, you know, health benefits of sex and um and after a 12 year research there's proof that casual sex is actually beneficial and good for you and it's better than going on a dry spell if you will until you find the right person to be forever if that's your thing so even if your thing is monogamy i'm saying if you're in between relationships have sex have fun don't take it too seriously and don't starve your body 
from sexual pleasure. It really affects your everyday life. Many people don't realize that, but starving yourself from sexual activity actually affects every aspect of your life when it comes to career, family, friendships, anything and everything. And I would probably say that's the biggest motivation for me to speak out and share my passion for sexuality is to encourage you, the listener, to let your inner slide out and have fun. Just be safe. And I don't know, do you want to hear the health benefits of sex? I mean, there's gazillions and trillions of researches and articles and videos about it. But let's just go real quick over a few health benefits for those of you that are not aware of that. I don't know, I just picked one from healthline.com. How can sex benefit your mental health? It's a confidence booster. Long list of, you know, what they're talking about, confidence booster, Um, social benefits. Sex can help you connect to your partner thanks to oxytocin. Oxytocin can play a role in developing relationships. You may find that consistent mutual sexual pleasure, pleasure helps with bonding within a relationship. goes on and on psychological effects of casual sex there's a bunch here young adults who engage in casual sexual encounters do not appear to be at greater risk of harmful psychological outcomes than sexually active young adults in more committed relationships the study found that after having casual sex sociosexual unrestricted students Those who were generally interested and eager to have casual sex typically reported improvements in psychological well-being afterward. It's another research that's done. Hold on, let me get the Dr. Robert Weiss. And this is an article he wrote about um, psychological effects of casual sex. This is in psychologytoday.com. Let's read another paragraph he said here. Um... At the end of the day, there is no undisputed right or wrong answer when it comes to casual sex and its effects on psychological well-being. For some people, it is probably fine, and for others, it is probably not. Each person is an individual with a unique life history and emotional makeup, so each person is likely to respond differently to to casual sexual behavior. There's another quote I'm going to take out from one of my favorite books, Sex at Dawn, by Dr. Christopher Ryan. He talks about comedian Jerry Seinfeld um, sums it up in terms of fire and firemen. And it goes like this, uh, a quote from Jerry Seinfeld. The basic conflict between men and women sexually is that men are like firemen. To men, sex is an emergency, and no matter what we're doing, we can be ready in two minutes. Women, on the other hand, are like the fire. They're very exciting, but the conditions have to be exactly right for it to occur. Funny and good. Um, Sex was an expression of friendship. And another quote from Sex and Dawn, but this is a quote by uh, Paul Farrell. Um, He's an anthropologist, a scientist, uh, did a bunch of research on different uh, tribes around the world. Um, So there's a quote where he says, sex was an expression of friendship. In Africa, it was like holding hands. It was friendly and fun. There was no coercion. It was offered willingly. And while we're at it, um, let me get you, um, let me pull out a few more quotes from Sex at Dawn. Um, Here's another one. Sometimes, perhaps most of the time, 
human sex isn't just about pleasure or reproduction. A casual approach to sexual relationships in a community of adults can have important social functions extending far beyond mere physical gratification. Another quote is, uh, where is it that I saved here? Here's another one. Though many strive to hide their human libidinousness from themselves and each other, being a force of nature, it breaks through. And that's pretty much what I said um, at the beginning, and that's my belief that sexual energy breaks through. You can't hide it. You can't suppress it. It's much stronger than us. And, uh, yeah, saying it's much stronger than us reminds me, of this clip that I saved for you. This is uh, by Dan Savage. If any of you listeners have any interest in sexuality, you know who Dan Savage is. He's a sexologist, sex expert, amazing human being. So I saved a clip from uh, Mind Valley Talks. Uh, this is uh, a, a convention for um, sex educators. So let's listen for it, two or three minutes of Dan Savage. But I want to share with you some of the things that I've learned over the past 25 years uh, digging through people's sex lives and psyches and talking to experts and researchers and scientists and brilliant people like Esther Perel, who you heard from yesterday. Um, and the first and most important thing that I've learned is that we're told a fundamental lie when we're children. about We're told a lot of lies when we're children about a lot of things. But the most sort of damning and... and damaging lie that we're told as children about sex is that one day we will grow up and we will have sex, when the reality is that one day we will grow up and sex will have us. <laughs> sex is older than we are, stronger than we are, 500 million years old, sexual reproduction. Sex built us through natural selection and random muta mutation. Sex created us. Sex has its own ideas about why we're here and what it is doing with us. And we pretend we are in charge of sex. We pretend we make all the decisions. And we are not in charge of sex. We human beings, for all of our existence, have been wondering about a higher power and a creator and looking up at the sky when the only creator and higher power that we can be sure exists is one we have to look down to find. And we don't. And we should because it'll help us respect sex. We have to acknowledge its power as we approach it, because we're negotiating always the terms of our surrender with sexuality and sex and those drives. That doesn't mean that we do anything that we want. It doesn't mean that every sexual impulse should be acted on, but the sex drive has to be channeled. It cannot be dammed up. If you build a dam without spillways, it collapses. If you do the same to the sex drive, if you attempt to, build, to dam it up without releases, without a spillway, without channels, it will collapse and wash away everything uh, in your life that you value. Do not dam up your sexual desires. Yeah, Dan Savage, love him. Um, look him up if you're not uh, familiar with, uh, with him. He has a wonderful uh, podcast as well on the topic of uh, human sexuality. Dan Savage is one of my uh, favorite sex educators. And uh, talking about sex educators, uh, I talked about uh, Zana Vrangolova, now Dan Savage, another favorite, favorite sex activist. She's not really a sex educator. Well, she is a sex educator, but she's more of a sex activist. Her name is Carly Shortino. If you've heard of her, gorgeous, sexy woman in her early 30s. She's a columnist for Vogue, 
relationships columnist and she's also she she has a series on vice about sexuality and sex but let me read a couple of articles that she wrote that i uh, truly love about the topic Uh, the first one is in uh, mamamia.com the article is titled i've had sex with multiple men and i'm proud of it five reasons why i won't be shamed for being promiscuous there's nothing wrong with being promiscuous Hell, it might just improve your life. Our society is one big double standard, but I'm sure you realize that. You're damned no matter what choice you make. If you're overweight, you're unhealthy. If you're skinny, you're on drugs. If you don't drink, you're boring. If you do drink, you're lush. If you don't have sex, you're a prude. If you do have sex, you're a slut. I'm being super candid about this because I was once a wild university girl, bar hopping each week, drinking and dancing almost every night, and having sex with multiple men. I was promiscuous. I won't deny it. Why would I put that all in the open? Aren't I afraid people will call me a slut after reading this piece? No, not really, because I don't use slut to describe other women's sexual choices. Sex is not something dirty. I'm not ashamed of it. And I certainly won't let other people's opinions change the decisions I make. My sexuality and sex life is mine, not anyone else's. I think we can all learn to be more open about sex. It is a part of life, isn't it? I couldn't give a shit about what people think of me. If you don't care what people have to say about you, then who cares? This is your life and nobody has the right to pass judgment on you. Especially if they're trying to cover up their own actions by putting yours down. It is all about being happy with you. Do you like who you are? I'm putting this out there because I believe there are surprisingly positive aspects to promiscuous behavior. Amen to that. And I just added that. (laughs) Okay, she writes, number one, you get a nice confidence boost. It takes a lot of balls to get naked in front of someone you don't know or aren't monogamous with. Even if you do know the person, intimacy changes the way you think. Nakedness leaves you vulnerable. There's nothing to cover your imperfections and flaws. You're out in the open. Number two, you learn what you like and don't like in bed. Nobody wants to have bad sex, but men are not mind readers. I once slept with a guy who was all about hard thrusting and rough sex, but I didn't say anything for fear of making him feel bad. Could I have made the sex more enjoyable by speaking up? Absolutely. Sex isn't a one-way street. It's about mutual satisfaction. It can be difficult to get out of your own head and stop overthinking every move, but don't be afraid to tell him what feels good. Men appreciate what you have to say, especially if it's constructive criticism that will help him please you better. Number three, you get great taste of variety. Like Forrest Gump says, life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. It applies directly to sex. You don't know if your hookup will be strictly missionary, super kinky, or the right mix of passionate. Every encounter is a bag of surprises. Do you want the same thing every time you have sex with someone? No, because the same thing can sometimes be boring. Having variety gives you a chance to try something new, whether it's a new partner or a new position. Number four, you are 100% free from commitment. At different points in life, we might not be completely ready to enter a committed relationship. 
I know that when I was in college, I was more interested in exploring all my options instead of feeling tied down to one person. Don't rush a relationship if it isn't what you want. Someone will end up hurt and you'll compromise your own happiness. There is a lot of power in doing what you want. Just like some women make the choice to be intimate with different partners, other women make the choice to be monogamous. Number five, you have an insane amount of fun. Sex is fun. Need I say more? We should embrace sexuality, not suppress it. Whether you are saving yourself from marriage or engaging in frequent sexual behavior, in the end, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. As long as you are happy with your choices, are making those choices of your own free will without pressure, and are being safe, keep doing what you're doing. Cool article by Carly Shortino. And again, Carly Shortino, like I said, is a brilliant sex-positive human being, very sexually open, and she's a great writer. Like I said, she's a television host. Uh, she's a producer. Uh, she's the founder of uh, Slut Ever, a website that focuses on sex and sexuality. And she's the executive producer and host of the Viceland documentary series of the same name, Slut Ever. Uh, you should check it out. I think they have full episodes on YouTube. Um, and like I said, she also writes uh, Vogue's online sex and relationships column. It's called uh, Breathless. But let me read one more article of hers that I really love. The title of the article is Victim Who. As women, we're led to believe that negative sexual experience can be devastating, that if some asshole crosses one of our sexual boundaries, or if we leave the orgy feeling fat and uncomfortable instead of enlightened, that we might never recover. But why do women always have to be the victims of sex? Why is it that nearly every area of our lives we are encouraged to take risks and try new things, to lean in and play hard? But then it, when it comes to sex, we're like, be safe or you'll end up traumatized or dead. These doomsday ideas become self-fulfilling prophecies, cultivating a type of sexual fragility that I don't think is healthy. At the heart of the victim narrative is a familiar and unfortunate premise. The idea that by having sex, men are getting something, whereas women are giving something up. It's outdated, it's offensive, and it's psychologically destructive for women because it has the power to mislead girls into thinking that having one non-ideal sexual experience means that they have lost a part of themselves. Pitying and victimizing women doesn't help us. It just dismisses the importance of female sexual agency. The article goes on, it's a fairly long article, but But I just highlighted these part and it's brilliant pretty much. Carly's saying is that why is it that when it comes to sex, society sees as women giving up something and men are getting something, which is an awful narrative created by society. The simple fact is that both adults are having fun. No one's giving up something and no one's taking something. While we're on the topic of uh, female sexual freedom, I want to read you another wonderful article that's written by uh, Celia Francone. This is on uh, bold.com, B-O-L-D-E.com. The title of the article is, I like to get sex out of the way on the first date. Here's why. Love this article. If I may just uh, read it for you real quick. There seems to be a lot of rules about sex, and in particular how long you should wait before having it with someone. I'm not a fan of any of them. I believe in getting sex out of the way as quickly as possible, which usually means put out on the first date. Number one, we're going to have sex eventually, so why not now? 
It doesn't make sense to me to keep waiting to sleep with someone I'm generally attracted to simply because of Fox morals or social rules. If I can see us having sex in some point in the future, then there's no point in abstaining from it on the first date if we're both willing and able to get naked together. Number two, I don't want to waste time getting to know someone who's terrible in bed. If you've ever met someone who seemed perfect for you and spent weeks or months getting to know them only to get hit with the reality that they're simply horrible in bed, you know how awful that reality check can be. You've wasted time you can't get back. Things get awkward and you want to resent them for it. All the stress, disappointment and hurt could have been avoided if you've simply taken it to the sheets immediately after you met. Let's face it, even a great personality can't fix or make up for trash sex. Number three, I have a pretty high sex drive and I don't want to repress it. My libido is very high, which means that when I'm not having sex, I'm preoccupied with thinking about it. I'm always looking forward to my next orgasm and I won't pass up on a good opportunity to have one or multiple. Why should I try to repress my sexual urges when I could just ask my date if they want to help me fulfill them? The worst that could happen is having my offer turned down. Either way, I'm going to get off with or without them. Number four, it's important to know how sexually compatible we are. That's a huge one for me too. I actively enjoy having sex. It's very important to me. So important that I can't contemplate being with someone who doesn't match my sex drive or someone with whom sex just doesn't feel as great. It's frustration and ain't nobody got time for that. The earlier I can tell how well we work in bed, the better for everyone involved. Number five, it lowers the chances of creating false chemistry. That's a good one too. Sometimes there appears to be a lot of sexual tension and attraction between two people, when in fact there's next to nothing. By having sex on the first date, I can tell when my mind is just playing tricks on me and the chemistry I thought was present doesn't actually exist. If my clothes come off and they touch my body and my insides don't start screaming, I know it's time to call it quits. Number six, you see a person for who they really are when you have sex with them. Horniness or desire to sleep with a person can cloud people's judgment and make them behave in ways that wouldn't normally. Once that desire has been fulfilled, they reveal their true selves and I can now decide if I still like that person or not. Number seven, I'm too grown to be playing unnecessary dating games. We're not in high school anymore, where everyone had to hide their attractions to the opposite sex. I'm a grown woman and I have needs. I know what I want and when I want it. Therefore, I'm going to go out and get it without delay. Doing so isn't going to affect something that's meant to be. Number eight, it helps make intentions clear. Some people date you simply because they're trying to hit it and quit it, and they're not mature enough to simply own up to it and lay all their cards on the table. Others are genuinely interested in starting something special with you, and sex is just a bonus rather than their sole purpose. I don't have to wait three months or some other ridiculous period of time to find out where they stand either way. Number nine, I don't attach value to sex, so I don't feel the need to withhold it for any reason. The ugly truth is that sex is still being touted as something men take from women, like currency that loses its value if exchanged too quickly. I refuse to be bound by primitive, patriarchal ideas. Anyone who would think less of me for exercising my sexual liberty by having sex on the first date is exactly the kind of person I want nothing to do with. Beautifully said. Beautiful article. 
And again, it's the type of women that I salute and admire. The women that own their slut hood. The women that own their sexuality and not ashamed of it. I simply love sluts. Hey, have you heard of the book, The Ethical Slut? Also, I think it's my second favorite book after uh, Sex at Dawn. The Ethical Slut is written by uh, Dossie Easton. Uh, she's also a uh, sex educator, sex positive, amazing, brilliant woman. I highly recommend that book, The Ethical Slut. If your inner slut is in the closet, mostly um, aimed at women to feel good and own up their sluttiness. But it's a great read for men to, to understand the female sexuality. Especially guys that tend to slut shame should read that book. Highly recommend it. But anyways, uh, let me read a few of my favorite quotes from that book. Sex is for pleasure, a complete and worthwhile goal in and of itself. People have sex because it feels very good and then they feel good about themselves. The worthiness of pleasure is one of the core values of ethical sluthood. Love that quote. Here's another one. A sexual relationship may last for an hour or two. It's still a relationship. The participants have related to one another as sex partners, companions, lovers for the duration of their interaction. It's something that I naturally believed in from an early age. And I'm happy and proud that I was in tune with that feeling of, you know, a sexual relationship. The strong belief that a sexual relationship, even if it's for an hour or two, it's, it's like it's still a relationship. You can you can have a love story for an hour or two, you know, with the other person that you were with, you know, as, and, and as I started uh, studying sexuality and taking seminars and classes and uh, educating myself, even being a sex educator and sex coaching, the wonderful thing that it, it fit like a puzzle that I felt at home because it's the beliefs that I had from an early age all of a sudden are so aligned with with science and with nature. It just felt so right. And it's frustrating to see that society was programmed to believe otherwise. So programmed that the opposite seems natural. And to believe it to be the moral, quote-unquote, moral thing. Like monogamy or women that own their sexuality and have sex with multiple partners are slut-shamed. Which is a shame. Alright, let's read another quote. Our belief is that the human capacity for sex and love and intimacy is far greater than most people think possibly infinite, and that having a lot of satisfying connections simply makes it possible for you to have a lot more. Imagine what it would feel like to live in an abundance of sex and love, to feel that you had all of both that you could possibly want, free of any feelings of deprivation or neediness. Imagine how strong you would feel if you got to exercise your love muscles that much, and how much love you would have to give Every orgasm is a spiritual experience. Think of a moment of perfect wholeness of yourself in perfect unity, of expanded awareness that transcends the split between mind and body and integrates all the parts of you in ecstatic consciousness. When we judge ourselves by cultural values imposed from the outside, when women believe they ought to be small and quiet, when gay people believe that their sexual choice is a neurosis, or when we all believe that we would be better people if we were able to be monogamous. This is internalized oppression. A couple more quotes from The Ethical Slut. My lifestyle gives me personal freedom, independence, and responsibility in a way that being an exclusive couple does not. I don't believe that humans are designed to be monogamous. Monogamy goes against my instincts. I never feel that the grass might be greener on the other side of the fence. I've been there. 
A lot of people describe having sex with only one person as being faithful. It seems to me that faithfulness has very little to do with who you have sex with. Faithfulness is about honoring your commitments and respecting your friends and lovers, about caring for their well-being as well as your own. Yep, that's that. Ethical Slut, highly recommend it. It's a great book. There are so many great books out there on human sexuality and sexual freedom. I encourage each and every one of you, if it's something that you feel that's crying out inside of you, it's because you're suppressing what's natural and you're letting society and specifically religion oppress it and oppress you. So I encourage you to go out there and research it. And it's a process if you're not sexually open, if you're not a sexual, sexually open human being. It's a process of letting the inner slut out, male or female, it doesn't matter. Even though it's much easier in our society for men to be sluts and we're called studs oddly enough, which is something that uh, always bothered me. Like, how come guys are called studs? Something, you know, that's a positive thing if they sleep around and women are called sluts, which in my world, a slut is the same term as a stud, if not better. I always say for me, slut is a term of endearment. And there are many uh, sex positive, smart people that are actively trying to reclaim the word slut because there is no shame in, in that word. There is no shame in being slut. In my world, it's quite the opposite. Um, being a slut is a hero. The women that I'm mostly attracted to, to me, it's, uh, it's power, girl power. But overall in sexuality, I also want to talk about another favorite sex educator, attorney, and a sex activist. His name is Marty Klein. love this guy because he's on Capitol Hill fighting for sex positivity when it comes to anything, specifically pornography, legalizing prostitution, slut shaming, etc. Um, he has a great book. Uh, it's called The War on Sex, or I'm sorry, America's War on Sex. But uh, let me read the quick quote from that, and then I'm going to play a clip of uh, him talking about America's war on sex. But the quote goes as follows. The idea that increasing the dangers of sexual expression will stop people from having sex has been proven wrong. AIDS has not prevented Africans from having sex. Capital punishment has not prevented Iranians' gays from having sex. Unwanted pregnancy has not prevented American teens from having sex. Which goes back to what I said a couple times before, that sex is a force of nature. No human, no government, no religion can oppress it. If you look back at history, like I said before, people that had so much to lose when having sex outside of their monogamous relationship still could not oppress their sexual desires. And as I mentioned before, it's people that had a lot to lose. Uh, if you look back in history, it from kings and queens to politicians no matter what position you're in, you cannot suppress it. And that's why it mostly backfires that people come out of religion. You know, religion, families and religion, religious communities try to suppress it aggressively and still nothing helps. Force of nature breaks through. Anyways, here's Dr. Marty Klein, three-minute clip of him talking about America's war on sex. See you in three minutes. The war on sex is a comprehensive attack on sexual education, entertainment, expression, health care, and officials at each level of government, unfortunately, have a lot of discretion about how to pursue this war. 
America's War on Sex is a comprehensive, well-coordinated attack by a large number of groups, actually, local, state, and federal government, as well as morality groups, decency groups, right-wing media, right-wing think tanks like the American Center for Law and Justice. It's not enough for some people to say, I don't want to go to a nude beach. They say, I don't want to go to a nude beach, and you shouldn't have the right to go to a nude beach either. I don't want to get an abortion, and you shouldn't have the right to get an abortion either. I uh, don't want to have group sex in a commercial venue, and you shouldn't have the opportunity to do that if you want to. So the war on sex is, in one sense, a war to take away the rights that people actually have to do things, to say things, to feel things that some people don't think they should have the right to do. Uh, for example, in California, the Town & Country Hotel in San Diego was going to host a swingers convention, 3,000 swingers, taking over the Town & Country Hotel. Nobody complained. The Alcohol Beverage Control Commission of the state of California came in and said to the Town & Country Hotel, if you host the swingers convention, we're going to take away your license. The Town & Country Hotel in San Diego said, hey, we're not serving any alcohol at these events. The ABC said, we don't care. You have a license. That makes it our business. We don't think that you, as a licensee, should be hosting an event where people are going to be having group sex. So take your pick. Do you want your license or do you want their business? Well, certainly America has a love-hate relationship with sexuality or, if you will, a schizophrenic relationship with sexuality. There's no question that what Americans are doing in their bedrooms is becoming more and more radical. Uh, the, um, the sexual repertoires of Americans at home, privately, without question, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. On the other hand, the government has acquired more and more tools to regulate sexual expression over the last 30 years. I don't think that's a coincidence. I think that people who are afraid of sexuality, they are vigorously uh, pursuing whatever means they can to regulate other people's sexuality. I'm afraid that the war on sex is getting more intense and more comprehensive. Uh, in the area of uh, adult entertainment, for example, the federal government has handed down a series of indictments it's unbelievable that in the United States, there's actually pictures and words that you can't sell because the government decides that it's obscene. The whole concept of obscenity is obscene. The, the right to see South Park may actually depend on the right to watch Butt Busters 3. So um, all of this sexually oriented stuff is connected. The regulation of sexuality is the gateway into undermining secular democracy. The regulation of sexuality is the gateway into using morality as the criterion for governance rather than secular pluralism. Yeah, that's Dr. Um, Marty Klein um, talking about America's war on sex. But overall... It's being a positive, open, sexual human being. I embrace and admire people like uh, Dr. Marty Klein and any um, sex positive activist. I think it's something that we should all fight for 
our sexual freedoms, if it's in the government, if it's in our homes, in our communities, in our schools as well. Like I mentioned before, the importance of um, sex education is, uh, is crucial. Societies that are successful when it comes to relationships and uh, the least amount of STDs and unwanted pregnancies and rape and such things are the societies where sex is embraced and is taught to their young humans in their society, starting at age as early as eight or even uh, kindergarten. You know, to most Western countries, it's mind-boggling. Like I said, the facts and the results are in. Uh, there are only positive results when it comes to being uh, sexually open within the society. Um, and also, you don't have to go very far to see that the opposite is true. You know, look at uh, religious countries like Iran or many other religious countries. Sexuality is suppressed. And that's where you have a lot of, uh, if it's STDs, unwanted pregnancies, rape, you know, sexual crimes, etc. Disrespect between the sexes. Uh, when it comes to uh, prostitution, you know, societies where it's um, legal and protected, there's only uh, positive outcomes. You know, STDs go down, crime goes down. And it's also a human rights issue. That's why me personally, I'm, a, I'm an activist when it comes to legalizing, legalizing prostitution. Because it's also protecting sex workers. Currently, they're in the shadows. Uh, they can be, you know, treated badly by pimps, sex traffickers, or even their clients. There's only negativity when it comes to uh, throwing it in the closet and hoping it'll go away. And it'll never go away. That's what boggles my mind that, you know, here we are, 2019, and governments and laws still think that by making it illegal or not teaching it in our schools, it'll just go away. And we get, we're get we getting the opposite results. And that's why I'm so fired up and so outraged and so encouraged to being active politically and otherwise when it comes to that, to sexuality. And also social values. I always believe that, you know, being open sexually is a good thing. From my own experience, you know, I've been in open relationships. I've been gazillions of uh, swinger events, parties. I worked at swingers clubs. You know, I was a certified um, massage therapist. I did seminar about um, tantric massage. I was also working as a PA, production assistant in uh, the porn industry in L.A., early 90s. So I was in that circle of uh, the adult industry. And it always felt like home. These are the most wonderful human beings. They're the most open, the most non-judgmental human beings that you could be with, regardless of the sexuality part of it. It's just that that type of being open and the opposite of drama queens are taking everything seriously, especially sex. I'm very uncomfortable around people who take sex uh, too seriously. It was always that way for me. So this is just uh, the beginning of me talking about sex first episode on pjp but there will be plenty more like i said i'll be talking about different topics within sexuality if it's uh, prostitution monogamy sexual education pornography all those things i'm truly passionate about and i would love to educate you and to encourage you um to open up and uh, enjoy sex because it's healthy it's good 
It doesn't have to be within the uh, frame of monogamy or love. It can be enjoyed even without knowing someone. I've had sex with women that I didn't even know their name. I don't even know their name today. Places such as uh, swinger clubs or whatnot. And it's wonderful. It's good. It's healthy. Nothing wrong with it. And if you're one of those people that are um, that is coming from a religious background, I'm sure it is hard for you to hear those things. I'm sure it's hard for you to accept it. But um, it's a process. You know, stick around on PJP. Research it, get online, you know, research, research, you know, everything about sex and sexuality and, and, um, it's a process before you know it, you'll be aligned with nature. You'll learn to enjoy sex, uh, whether you're a monogamous person or not, whether you're in between relationships or not, enjoy it. And, uh, you'll be surprised to see once the more you have sex, like I read before from, um, those wonderful researchers and scientists about sexuality and having sex and the benefits of sex. You'll be surprised how it will benefit you in every other aspect of your life in things such as career, family, relationships, self-esteem, health, everything, everything. Sex is everything. So open up, embrace it, start paying attention to your inner slut, start letting her out. On that note, I'm going to end it with uh, two articles. I have two articles left for you. One of them is why you should embrace your inner slut. Good segue, right? Here it is, why you should embrace your inner slut. Slut, 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 slut. How do you feel about that word? Do you cringe when it's said? Do you fear being labeled it? Or do you... Or do you wave your flag proudly? We're in the 21st century and that word still holds quite a lot of charge for people, be it negative or positive. Some, usually women, have such negative association with the word being derogatory and meaning anyone branded a slut has no morals, no standards, no self-respect, and whose behavior is totally unacceptable. Thankfully, this is changing. In fact, In Adult Matchmaker's recent sex survey, 40% of women said they fantasized about being a slut. Others believe it is no such thing, that a slut is just a person who enjoys sex, and lots of it, which is not a bad thing. It doesn't mean they have no morals, no self-respect, and lack of standards. Just because someone will have sex with parts of the community that they wouldn't, and lots of it, does not mean they don't have standards. Morals and standards are actually subjective, so really, it's a judgment that says more about the person using slut as an insult than about the person themselves. In the recent sex survey done by Adult Matchmaker, it showed women are far more adventurous and sexually active than the media might lead us to believe. So why not let this whole slut thing be descriptive of someone who just enjoys having sex and celebrate the liberation of it? The movement has already started quite some time ago. Let's just help it along a little, shall we? Here are my reasons for you getting your slut on and finding the empowering aspects of the word rather than shying away from sexual experiences that will make you feel more alive. Sluts allegedly love sex. If you love sex or would like to be someone who does, decide to express your inner slut by enjoying more of it rather than hold back for fear of being branded a slut. If you're a swinger, then you've already got a need for a variety of pleasure. Enjoy what the lifestyle has to offer in an uninhibited fashion. Sluts have the best clothes, sexy, raunchy, revealing, and such a churn-on. 
We all love looking attractive and getting the good attention. You don't have to go out in public wearing such adventurous clothes, but you could definitely wear it at home if you prefer. Be daring and accentuate your assets. Slut means liberation. I used to worry about being branded a slut. That was my baggage. But when I decided not to worry about it, I let go in the moment with my partner and playmates and discovered more intense orgasms with a voice to go with it. Embracing my own inner slut meant freedom, enjoying more pleasure within myself. Slut means adventure. If you aren't afraid of what others might think about you, then you will say yes to trying new things, whether it's anal, something tantric or kinky or something else. By being open to trying new things, you will find new and exciting ways to be turned on and pleasured and how to do it to your partner in return. You could very well earn a reputation for being the most amazing playmate, making you someone who's in demand. And last but not least, slut means fun. Who are the people you most enjoy being around? The people who are the least judgmental, easiest to hang out with, who don't care what others think, and who know how to enjoy themselves, right? Most of the people I know who don't care if they're labeled as a slut or not are some of the most fun people I know because they let go enjoy the moment and have zero judgment on what I enjoy or want to do. Slut is just a word and unfortunately I see it time and again where women more so hold back and restrict themselves from being every part of who they are or experiencing everything sex has to offer for fear of someone else's branding them as a slut. So get your slut on and own it in your own way and celebrate the same in others. Fun article about getting the your slut on turns out this pod pod is aimed more towards uh, my female listeners i guess okay let's wrap it up with the last article because we're talking about sluthood so much i think it's a good article to wrap it up it's called your quick guide to be a slut this is also from a wonderful website that i highly recommend it's called sluttygirlproblems.com sluttygirlproblems.com Com. Awesome website uh, that has tons of articles and material, even coaching of um, sluthood, of encouraging women to own their sluthood and feel comfortable being a slut. Anyways, the article is uh, your quick guide to be a slut. Let's read that before we wrap it up. What does it take to be a slut? A real slut doesn't let anything stop her from reaching her goals. But what are her goals? Sex and fun. She knows what she wants and she goes after it when she wants, regardless of who or what stands in her way. To do this, she needs to be confident and self-assured. That can be trickier than it might seem. So let's go over some tips to slutting up your life. Number one, every day come up with five things you like about yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror and say them out loud. This may be hard at first, but trust me, it gets easier. Number two, plan what you wear. Pick things that make you feel good and sexy. It doesn't matter where you go, what you have planned for the day. Just look and feel good. Number three, the same goes for makeup and hair. If you feel like it will boost your confidence, do your hair and makeup. Feel good. Number four, respect yourself and your boundaries everywhere. In every situation, no one walks over a slut. She knows her mind and expresses it without fear. Okay, so maybe with a little fear. But she does it anyways. <laughs> Number five, stand up for yourself. 
If something makes you uncomfortable at work, don't accept it. Don't let people take advantage of you. This may be hard at first and it's going to get, take practice if you're not used to it, but it will get easier. Number six, don't let the words of others affect you. As a slut, you may in fact be called a slut or worse. Embrace it. There is nothing wrong with being sexual and knowing what you want and going for it. It isn't bad to be assertive. Laugh at those who think it is. Number seven, be out for yourself in the best way. Sluts want to enjoy their bodies, their environments, and those who are around them. There is nothing wrong with putting yourself and your needs first in your life. Number eight, you want that cock or that tail. <laughs> Get it? Don't hold back. I'm not talking about stripping buck naked in a room of crowded people. But that D you want? Make your intention known. Lick your lips and his or hers. Explore them with your hands, your knee between their legs, your mouth on their neck, teeth on their earlobes. Let others stare. They're jealous they can't be as bold as you. Number nine, on that note, don't be afraid of some PDA, public display of affection. Kiss him, lick the line of the tendon up his throat, grab his ass and put his hand up your skirt. If you want it, you get it. Life is too short to wait. So when you want something, go for it. Anyone who judges you isn't enjoying themselves nearly as much as you are. Number 10, smile a lot, genuinely. It's a good habit to get into regardless. Number 11, ditch your panties. Sometimes you're going to want quick, messy sex. You may not be able to undress. By doing this, you have one less thing to worry about. Plus, you'll feel sexier, trust me. Number 12, skirts, skirts, skirts. Nothing feels so heart-racingly sexy as the idea that maybe the wind will flash someone or how easily your significant other has access to that pussy. Number 13, look your significant other in the eye. Hold his gaze. Let him see that heat. Number 14, tell him you want him, how you want it, and that you want him here and now. Don't let him guess. Tell him you want his thick, hard, you-know-what, and your you-know-where, and that it better happen now because guess what? You don't want to wait. Number 15, flirt with your body, not just your words. Invest in lollipops or suck on the end of your sunglasses. Put things in your mouth. Twirl your tongue around your straw. Smile, blow kisses, be physically close. Let him know you want playtime. Number 16, skin. It's okay to show it. Own your body. Let people look at you. If anyone judges you, they aren't having fun the way you are. So be yourself. Enjoy the moments that you're creating. You look damn good, girl. Number 17. Take care of yourself. Hydrate. Eat things that make you feel well. Get enough sleep. Maybe start a gentle exercise routine. If you're going to slut it up, you're going to need energy. Number 18. Lastly, but most importantly, learn what makes you happy. If that means going to a nude beach, do it. If it means eating a slab of cake, do it. If it means giving yourself a pedicure, a facial, and a soaking in the bath for an hour, do it. A slut knows what she wants, not just in the sack, but in life, too. Go get it, slut. Live it up. Love this article. Wonderful article. Um... You can find it, again, at Slutty Girl Problems. There are gazillions of uh, wonderful articles on that website. All right, my lovelies. I think uh, we had enough talk about 
sluts and sex for this episode plenty more to come but yeah episode sex coming to a wrap hope you enjoyed it i hope um it educated you a little bit hope it uh, tickled your inner slut for um my female listeners and uh, hopefully she wants to come out and hopefully you're gonna let her out and slut it up other than that have sex have fun don't take it too seriously and uh, remember it's just sex until next time my people i love you thank you for being here thank you for listening and uh, let's get back on track and i will see you next week also before i go don't forget to check me out my social media planet joe pod everywhere facebook twitter instagram patreon planet joe pod love you guys come see me in between pods in my social media and see you next time